It's not an overstatement to say that the fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3 is the greatest tragedy in human history. By one simple act of disobedience, Adam and Eve went from being in complete and total harmony with God to cowering in fear as our newly accursed first parents. And for generations to come, there would be a new motto. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm sure you've uttered the words or had the thought many times, but this is exactly right. Rebellion was not what Adam and Eve were created for, and yet, rebelled they did. This moment in scripture provides us with our first picture of God's fatherly reprimand, and we learn that disobedience does not go unaddressed. The way that God addresses this act of idolatrous disobedience is by casting Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, which ultimately means that they were cast out of or separated from the physical presence of God. They no longer had the privilege of dwelling with him. But before this moment, something else happened. There is a curse that has been brought about because of Adam and Eve's sin. To see this, we need to go to Genesis 3. But before that, we need to understand the instruction that God gave to Adam and Eve for how they can live and remain in harmony with him. In Genesis 2, 15-17, we read that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall never eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's break this down. First, you may eat of any tree in the garden, but one. Second, if you do eat from that one forbidden tree, it is an act of willful defiance of God's rule. And three, disobedience means death. In the storyline, we are on step three. What have we learned so far? Defiance leads to reprimand, disobedience demands justice, and sin requires death. There is, however, a bit of a problem. Adam and Eve don't die in the garden. They are cast out of the garden and eventually die from what we would assume are natural causes. So, is God a liar? Well, of course not. Listen to Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Well then, here it is, the death God required. Instead of requiring the death of Adam and Eve, God accepted the sacrificial death of an animal in their place. This is the first of many blood sacrifices for the sins of God's people, and they all have one thing in common. They don't last. God's people need a better sacrifice. It seems silly to say this, but that reality was not lost on God. God had planned to provide exactly what was needed before it was ever known to Adam and Eve as a need. But we're not just talking about an animal skin to cover their nakedness. It's something far greater. Genesis 3.15 gives us a look into God's cursing of the serpent, which is Satan, for tempting Eve to sin. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The word bruise isn't exactly what we might think. When we get a bruise, it's typically no big deal. But in Hebrew, the word bruise can also be translated crush. The sacrifice God will make won't just justify God's justice. This son promised to Eve will crush Satan's sin and death. All through scripture, this promise hope resounds. Over and over again, the prophets, priests, and kings are hoped upon to be the son of Eve who will crush the head of the enemy. And yet, none of them ever end up being the promise keeper. But through them, the hopefulness for the promise is kept alive. But what the people failed to remember is that they didn't need a hero to wage war against the serpent. They needed a sacrifice to appease the wrath of God and take once for all the punishment of their sin. The hero they needed was one who would come to die. This hero, the snake crusher, is none other than Jesus Christ. 
We may be tempted to say that it's actually the death of Jesus that's the greatest tragedy in human history, not the fall into sin. But this cannot be true, because the death of Jesus is actually the greatest victory in human history. The tragedy of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden finds its resolution in Golgotha on the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus tells us for himself in John 19.30, it is finished. With Jesus' last breath comes the realization that his death secured the salvation of God's people. It was over. The curse was broken. The promise has been kept. But this isn't the end. The capstone of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, his satisfying eternally the judgment of God for sin, is his conquering of death. Why is it that all of the other sacrifices couldn't provide the salvation brought by Jesus? Well, first, Jesus is not only the Son of God, he is God incarnate. He is without sin. His sacrifice is perfect and holy and acceptable to God as only can be given by the God-man. But secondly, those other sacrifices couldn't conquer death. In every case, death had the final say until Jesus. The Bible goes on to tell us that three days after Jesus' death, he rose from the dead, establishing his lordship over all things, including sin and death. But here is a really cool and important part of this whole account. It was always going to be this way. Listen to what John 19.41 says. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. It can't be overstated that God is a God of reconciliation. It's in the Garden of Eden that we first meet with the curse of sin and death. And it's in the Garden of Golgotha that we meet the Savior who conquered both.